and welcome back everybody to another edition of Week in Horror After Dark. Thank you so much for joining us and we'd like to give a special welcome to our special industry guest, Frank Farrell, known for Spookies and Street Trash, who has taken time out of his incredibly and, and, busy and other things, but and other things, it is, but has taken time out of his incredibly busy schedule to join us and uh, talk all things horror. So thank you uh, from us, Frank, for uh, joining us for You're this one. You're welcome. Excellent, and of course, with me is Eugene and Johnny O. Also known as some fat guy. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, I first I got to lay this out first and foremost, Frank. So, you are by and large the you know, the the most the most veteran individual we've had on the we've had the pleasure of having on the show. The most oh, really? experience, yes, the most experience. And I mean, I think you're you're the only person we've had on the show who's who's like with some of us has dealt with shoot, like shooting on film. You know, and hmm. and that coming up, coming up in that day. Thank you for day. having me. In that case, I, I feel honored. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the, the vet, veterans of this industry are you know they have the most, in my opinion, have the, some of the best insights into this genre and why it is it, it is the amazing thing that it is, and why it's just probably the best genre of all the genres out there. Well, um, the, the, the truth is, I mean, uh, my uh, love of the genre goes back to. You know, before I was a teenager, certainly, and uh, I, uh, you know, and I grew up loving like monster movies and and reading science fiction, and and for years that was something you were really looked down on for, uh, you know, and that includes like reading comic books, which I also did. So it's like, it's like it was considered lowbrow stuff for not very intelligent people. When I think the <laughs> When I think the actual truth is the opposite is 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 what's what's the fact here, right? So given uh, given the films that you, that you have helped to to bring to life, Spookies, uh, Street Trash, I'm just you know, and the, the the unique take that you have on these, the the thing you know, essentially with Street Trash, you invented a subgenre with that one. I, well, I didn't write Street Trash, so I can't take that credit. I, I was a one of you know, I was a co-producer of the film, but. Um, the fortunate thing that happened on that project is that creativity from everybody at every level was, you know, very much welcome and, and, and got listened to. And, uh, um, the film, uh, turned out, I think better than, than we even expected just because there is so much eccentricity in it. Uh, so many interesting little character turns and and throwaway lines and like a lot of improvisation. Um, you know, I, I think it, it just somehow everything came together for that. As far as I'm concerned, this is this is in in opposition to the other film that I'm best known for, Spookies, where the production was sort of hijacked out of uh, the hands of myself and my partners. Well, it started from the beginning, guys. Yeah. You know, uh, your your unique take on it, obviously. I mean, so we're very curious. Like, what what drove you into this? Because you know, it's not everybody that just you know kind of like says, "I'm going to be a, a film director." Much less, you know, I'm going to say you know, focus my I efforts. Think, you know, on the I, I think it's it's interesting because I think probably more than ever, kids are being inspired to, to be filmmakers because it's so much easier to just pick up their phone and start making a film. Mm-hmm. Um, I got very interested in. Uh, horror movies uh and uh let's see around 
11, 10, 11, something like that. I started and I became slowly more and more interested and fascinated. And, uh, you know, and, and those early, those times, I mean, like uh, like the, the 60s, for instance, was a time where they had like, you know, every store had like monster bubblegum cards and monsters were like a big thing. Um, but as I said, uh, you know, uh, it was mostly sort of a considered kid stuff, so to speak, more or less. And so... Um, uh, I I just found myself fascinated with it. And this is before it was very difficult to connect in those days. So, you know, with other fans, with, you know, hopefully you had a friend who had some similar interests, which I did. Uh, but I uh, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 and I got into, you know, I, I read fiction. I read like the entire works of, of Edgar Allan Poe and and H.G. Uh, Wells and H.P. Lovecraft and all these sort of seminal influential people. So I, uh, I have a great affection for all the classic horror concepts. I love black and white movies. I love atmosphere. I love being able to create, uh, you know, a mood or an effect. And I like the fact that in older movies, the monsters are generally more sympathetic characters. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, go go ahead. I oh, know. I mean, it's it's just it's a good point because. You kind of you do feel bad for the monster when you got that creature from the the creature from the blue lagoon. You feel bad. Creature, oh. creature from the blue lagoon. I'm sorry, black lagoon. I, I, it's I, been a long I, day. It's I been felt a long. I, 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 I didn't mean, feel bad for Mila Jovovich at all. I was gonna say. <laughs> her Brooke, might, or, uh, I don't. Well, I'm I'm not. A, yeah, I was gonna say I'm not a huge Brooke Shields fan, but you don't gotta call her a creature. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to tell the truth, is the 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 trend, the the last big trend in terms of so so called on screen monsters has been essentially characters that are killing machines. Mm. Right. That's true. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's there's a little goes, chance to feel sorry for. Right. That's one of the things that was kind of cool about like the the Frankenstein monster is that he was a sympathetic character. He just didn't know that he was killing things. Yeah, and I, and I think that kind of thing uh, still works. But I, I don't, you know, I don't know if nowadays there's that kind of humane attitude in horror films about you know where they're really trying to get you to see something that uh, gives the so so called evil. You know, abomination. Uh, you know, unnatural creature. A, you, you know, some form of humanity of of, of uh, some something you can identify with personally. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, it, it's. Uh, I sort of. I, I. I have a. I have a real. At this point, I've developed an aversion to things like. You know, I think I mentioned this when I spoke to you previously. Uh, to things, uh, you know, being just. Uh, rehashes of the same thing but i'm like you know i'm waiting for the next new trend in horror i'm waiting for something that's going to come along and something there's going to be 30 movies in a year or some sort but that hasn't happened yet oh fingers crossed so other because i because I, I did say i did see that you had a small role in igor and the lunatics uh, yeah i i was the uh i was production manager on that for uh i don't know several weeks of the of the shoot um it uh that was a film. They, my my two partners who worked with me on Spookies, Tom Doran and Brendan Faulkner, uh, had started uh, just visiting the set of, of a film that was originally called Like Father, as in like father, like son. And so they were they were you know they had told me oh we're hanging out on the set. Next thing I know, it's like oh well we're co-directing some scenes. Oh well now we're directing some scenes. Could you come and help uh, work on the producing end? Uh, so they wound up getting a credit for uh, for specifically for uh, 
what was it action and something like action and, and gore or, or or special effects scenes make whatever they did like all the scenes that are the money scenes for for a horror film that when it was originally being made had no plans for anything like that you know everything was supposed to happen off screen because you know because that's what people go to see so did the did your writing did that lead into kind of acting or was you did you start acting from the start? For me, then... I mean, I've sort of always done everything to some extent. Meaning, I was like, you know, I was writing when I was in high school. I, you know, I I did theater a little bit. Uh, I made started making films in high school. I started, you know, I mean, my first real films were when I was like 16, 17 years old, um, and uh, and I wanted to. I mean, as soon as I. I had originally gotten, you know, like a super eight millimeter camera when I was like 13 nice. or so. That's cool. You know, and that, uh, you know, at the time that was like an amazing thing to have and you felt uh, like empowered by it. Um, but I sort of, I, I, I think uh, part of it is I became very interested and uh, intrigued with various forms of visual storytelling. I'm very visual uh, I feel like images can do all kinds of powerful things that you can't just do with audio and you can't do in other forms. So I, I, uh, I think I, I got, I like the idea of being able to use pictures and, and drama and, uh, you know, and people and tell stories like that. Um, you know, and it's far more exciting. It's like, I got to tell you just, it's as, as, as a writer, it's like you're sort of on your own for a while when you're writing and then, in production, everything's going on. Everybody's there. Everybody's helping. Everybody's working towards one goal. I I like the experience of, of film production. I mean, you guys know what it's like. Oh yeah, the, you yeah. Know, the having the cohesive unit, especially when things are working and you know, people have developed that short. Well, that's it. Because yeah. when you have a bad day, it can you want to tear your head off, and then other times <laughs> you're just like grinning and laughing and having a great time, and it and that's how it should be. Definitely, it should. Yeah, above all, it should be fun. So, yeah, on. JL, it should be fun. Hey, I don't, I don't direct you. You just the director's right there. <laughs> director's right there. Actually... <laughs> so, jumping from uh, that into the the big one, the big heavy hitter, Spookies, and I have the, ple the pleasure of enjoying of, of enjoying this on. Uh, what, what did I find it on? Um, Amazon, right? It was on Amazon Prime. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So you was, have you have seen the recent oh, restoration? Yeah. Okay. Yes. And uh, I have to. Admit, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, let, you walk us through it because this is the. This, uh, it's your baby, and you helped to you helped to bring this to, to bring this alive. And you yeah, but I had so like, I had like twenty or thirty midwives. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have to say, you worked with some amazing people. Uh, to get this film done, we, we, did, we I, I, you know, we assembled uh, people that we had met previously and had, uh, you know, uh, some of the effects guys had worked with us in trying to get other projects to a point where we could get financing. Um, but uh, looking back, I mean, it's, it's like amazing that we got so many top effects people involved with this film, who uh, who were more, most of them were getting their first big shot at a full at a, at a feature film where they had some real control over the the work that was being done uh you know this goes for gabe bartalos who you know from basket case and the leprechaun pictures and many other movies to uh vince guastini who has uh gone on to i mean he's you know he both he and gabe are amongst the top makeup people in hollywood uh john dodds who's uh known for a lot of the low budget movies he did 
back in the 70s and 80s, and he went on to uh, all kinds of design and creature creation. Uh, he does he did all the the creatures for Broadway shows like Beauty and the Beast. Uh, you know, it's uh, oh, and then we have Jennifer Aspinall, who like uh, for many years was the uh, head uh, makeup person doing all kinds of special makeups for Saturday Night Live. She won Emmy awards. So we had all these people on our crew, which is like fairly amazing thinking about it now. Um, and I think it was, you know, part of it is that we were lucky and part of it was that we had an eye uh, for what we thought was talent. And we really tried to, you know, get people that had the kind of enthusiasm that we did too. That was very important. And the effect, I mean, and I have to say, I mean, especially for, for the year, um, which 1986, uh, and I'm just double checking because the, the shoot times I had the year of release 86, but was this shot over? It was the shot 85? roughly. It was shot roughly 84 to 85. It, okay. Uh, we had, uh, you know, I mean the uh, I, I can give you the short version of what happened actually in terms of the film not being the film that we started out making. Uh, the story's been all over the place, but yet many people have not heard anything about it. In that we made we made the film. It was called Twisted Souls. It was finished. Aside from optical effects that needed to put, be put into climactic scenes, we had a rough cut, which was very rough. It was like about two and a half hours long. We got into and our backer was uh, was Michael Lee, the uh, the founder of Vipco Video, which was the big video nasties company in England. They were the ones that put out most of the very con you know the gory horror movies back in the eighties. Uh, and they became they came under fire, and there was a big you know controversy, and he worried about going to jail all the time, but then he wanted to make his own movie. And he came here and he was looking for people. He interviewed us amongst many others, uh, people like Andy Milligan, who's a famous exploitation director at that time. And uh, But somehow he sort of saw us as his potential filmmakers. And we had to go through a long process of sort of courtship and pitching him ideas and ultimately he just wanted to make a ripoff of the evil dead he and he and he, and he said i, I want to make a film just like the evil dead and okay. so we we sort of you know we were taking notes and we sort of had to go along with this list of things he wanted in a film um and that's what became spookies you know he wanted a bunch of teenagers they go to a house and there's a there's a monster in this room and there's a thing in this room and there's a ghost upstairs and there's something everywhere and so uh, we did that. We we attempted to make it a little more to our liking because to tell the truth, we didn't want to make the film as he s described it and wanted it. Uh, you know, we weren't really like looking to make a rip off of any movie. We were just looking to do something a little bit uh, different to tell the truth. We had, a, we had our own haunted house movie, which is uh, part of the reason I guess this became a haunted house movie because we had looked at house locations for a while beforehand. Um, but, uh, we eventually came to some kind of terms with him, uh, wrote a script in two weeks, which was then approved by him <laughs> and, uh, then went through the hell of, of spook of uh, twisted souls. He, it, it, it became a constant struggle. I mean, there was a war of, of wills just in terms of, uh, he was constantly convinced that we were trying to cheat him. We were trying to deceive him. We were, you know, we were looking to steal money from him when we were, you know, and all we wanted to do was make the best film we could make. Uh, unfortunately, he made it a lot more difficult. And the real problem came in the cutting room. When we had this rough cut, we had a blowout. Uh, we, my, my partner just threw up his hands in disgust, walked out of the editing room 
and we all left the project. Uh, now, bear in mind, it was finished up to a point where optical effects were needed, which was involving somebody on our team. And uh, his solution was to get somebody else to come in, re-edit the film. This person eventually convinced him that like more than half the film was completely useless and throw it away. And she came in, shot new scenes that she could insert into the movie and also create uh, uh, claim a co-directing credit. And uh, so this is more or less what happened to the movie. And the movie was completely re-edited by her. Um, and, and, and the sad thing about it really is that uh, it was not turned into another movie because of the problems with the original film. It was somebody's ego saying, oh, I can grab a, a directing credit and all I have to do is cut out most of, of their movie and put in mine in its place. And if you've seen Spookies, you, you do have the awareness that there might be two different thought processes involved. It, it, it felt slightly. Um, slightly. I just, it, it, well, it, it felt slightly. I, I was kind of engrossed because I, I, I like, I'm a fan of rubber monster movies. And I like, and I, and I love the unique designs. The Spider Woman, the uh, electrical Lovecraftian octopus mm -hmm. dude. I mean, there was interesting. There was, I mean, there were interesting stuff that done in that. I'll get the that was where we thought we could triumph. That we said we said, all right, the audience wants monsters. We'll give them monsters. We'll oh yeah, monster in there that we can. Not we just be not, better than evil stuff dead. That you don't see in every movie, you know, and and so there was that was where we thought you know we could make the film stand out, and I think it still does in that way, even though. One of the things that, among the things that was cut is lots of the monster stuff. Like almost all the monster scenes in the film are maybe fifty percent or less of what was originally there, huh. uh, you know. And that was cut down, cut out to, to put filler in that this other person directed. Huh. I mean, these are these are the Spider Woman. I mean, I I just I still would like to just get her and have her in front of me and say, all right, this woman turns into a spider, and then then we had like wide shots of this entire spider that she turns into which which was life size on the set that we shot and you cut it out why why would you cut that out that's the stuff people are paying to see why why was this not usable in the film see that's wild and as a not knowing this i was watching it was i was assuming that it was like because you know when you're dealing with effects like that and you're making these big monsters is sometimes there's only parts of it or aspects or angles of it you can show towards the camera at any given well, time. Like, no, of course we had that problem because everybody doing those kind of effects at that time uh, definitely had those problems. It's easier now because you can do more with puppetry. You can also eliminate a lot of stuff with CGI and make it disappear if there's any kind of thing that shouldn't be on screen. But the truth is also that we, we had a novice crew, crew in terms of the makeup people. All those guys were like really ambitious and, and very uh, talented. But they hadn't, you know, done that many actual films, and so they were still learning and figuring things out. And we, as filmmakers, we learned the, that the fact is, when you're doing those kind of practical effects, um, most of your time is going to be spent waiting for them to work properly. <laughs> it harkens back to Jaws. Uh, the, yeah, exactly. the, the shark is not working. The shark is not working. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> hanging out on the beach. Spielberg has to erect loudspeakers along the beach, you know, just in case he's something all of a sudden <clears throat> the shark is working. The shark is working. Back to set, back to set. Everybody's like yeah. rushing to try it. <laughs> you know, and it's like it, it it made me realize that if you're shooting those kind of effects, that you have to work out some kind of a plan where I mean, my if 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 I'm hoping to do uh another movie sometime soon, uh 
I would probably opt to do have our, our our practical effects unit like on set available at all times, shooting anything that could be shot on the same location where we're shooting whatever we're shooting, but just being able to perfect and play with certain effects and let them sort of come into their own and really work. Because you, as as you said before, the real problem is you shoot something like that, and you you know ultimately you wind up at that time anyway, you wind up editing it together based on the takes that worked, you know. And uh, this was you know I, my the film Street Trash, very similar situation. We had all these effects of people's bodies melting down, and we wanted to do and you know the and. They melt in very unusual, unexpected ways, in like you know, multicolored blue, yellow, green. Uh, there's really not very much red, or you know, blood, and that type of thing. But the film still managed to get an X rating, or, or the equivalent. <laughs> it was the. It was the. It had to be the twenty. Right. Once again, it had to be. You know, when we first started shooting those scenes, there was a lot of trial and error because it was nothing. There was nobody's work to look at and say, "Oh, well, here's how they did it at this time," and so we, we'll do something like that. We had to figure out where we were going with it, and that's hard because you kind of have an idea like this should work, and then you're on set and they try it, and all of a sudden it's like, "Nope, the goop doesn't come out." No, there's all kinds of things like that where you're just in your head and you think about like physical aspects of it, and it's like, "Yeah, that should work, no problem," and then some. Aspect is not what you planned on, and uh, you know you're stuck. And that, and I, I'd say that uh, probably continues to happen even to the most expensive, you know, big scale productions with these kinds of effects. You know, the difference is nowadays that uh, I, I would get, I would maybe I'm saying maybe I'm being premature in judging it that way, but I would think that there's got to be enough advances overall in in mechanics, in puppetry, in radio controlled stuff, in computer controlled stuff, to get almost any kind of a of a motion or or kind of a of a of a of a, a way of a thing moving, get it perfected to some degree before you have to go before the cameras. But you have the issue on top of that is like the more trials that you can take, the more time to figure out, the more money it costs. So it's like oh, you can so have that, a lot of these The things. thing is, it's like it, it really comes down to, I would prefer to just figure out all the problems in advance mm -hmm. and have the thing working like so well that you could just like bring it into a room with people and they would like buy into it as like something that exists. Just like Ed uh, 209. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it just, whatever it comes down to, it's, it's just, um, Otherwise, it's. Um, I think you're, I feel like you're trapping yourself if you don't like work this out well in advance because you know we ultimately, you know, again, on both those the films we just talked about, there came times where you realized, all right, we have to get it at exactly this angle, we have to have exactly this light on it, and we have to do the action for the scene just this way in order not for it to fall apart or you know or look like shit or the you know whatever it was it, you know we had to we had to uh compensate and uh and that kind of stuff does take time it, it really does because you have a lot of a lot of people are melting outside so you're thinking about sun positioning and all sorts of kind of stuff and timing and all that. yeah but i mean y'all made it work it's because the movie's awesome. We did. I, I uh, the the director Jim Mueller, who, who I've always felt did a great job. It's like his first movie directing job. He's now a a very uh, well known Steadicam operator in Hollywood. But uh, you know, I mean, he did he did uh, you know he had the luxury on Street Trash. I have to say, as his father organized most of the financing 
And when we did go over budget, it was because we, uh, and we did go over budget largely because Jimmy was just like shooting like stuff from, he would get like three times more coverage than the average low budget picture would on a, on a scene. He would just, you know, get all kinds of shots and angles and, and different uh, takes. And, uh, and that helped the picture a lot. Cause if you look at the picture, there's lots and lots of shots. There was obviously like a lot of different uh, takes and individual setups for, you know, for characters, for camera work, etc. And I think that added to the picture. I think it looks better than a lot of low budget pictures. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, uh, gosh, well, let me think I, I've lost my track here. I start, you started me on one path. I, I've gone down a couple. <laughs> I mean, you're just talking about just having like so many, the extra coverage and you talk about how, yeah, I, know, I what I was going to say is he, his, because his dad was sort of, you know, conducting the money raising aspect of things. When we went over budget, it was like, Oh, okay. Well, he's my son. Uh, anything for my son. And uh, whereas on you know on Spookies it was like you know what you know you've you've spent five cents more on nails than you told me you would. <laughs> I, I, is I, real. So I, okay. two questions regarding Spookies that are just for, for my own personal edification, just as a filmmaker, because I'm interested in like the little nuances behind the scenes. Sure. So that that big ass house that y'all shot at, uh, where was it? Where's that located? In Rye, New York, in Westchester County. Westchester <laughs> County. And I grew up in just like right near. I was like in two towns over in Mamaroneck, which is another town up there. Interesting, because it that it, it felt very familiar. I felt like I'd seen that it, that building before. I don't think it's been in any other films. It was the John Jay estate. It was the house of the uh, first. Uh, now I've forgotten. I think the first attorney general in the U.S. I or maybe maybe I'm I'm mistaking the office, but uh, it was uh, you know it, it was built in uh, sometime in the mid or early 1800s. Was it complete? Was it completely empty and just dare AOE of? It really was pretty much completely empty. I mean, they it, the the thing that had happened is that uh, it was owned by a woman of some wealth who owned that and the whole the large property that it was on. She was in a when we went to try and see if we could get the permission. Uh, she was in the midst of a battle with the town of Rye because uh, they wanted to keep it. They felt it was like of a historic importance. Uh, she felt it was uh, potentially like a money-making venture that she could make more, a ton of money off of. So she wanted to just sell it or or just put up condos there herself and uh, make make uh, it, it something profitable for her. And uh, we eventually we had to go through a. a uh, a sort of a screening for the town to give us permission to use it. But I do think the fact that we made the film there brought some attention to the property, maybe not as much as it had gotten before. And ultimately it got declared a historical landmark. So it's there, it's protected. They were oh, giving, cool. tours, they were giving tours of it for a while. I heard that there was a, an actual, a sign on the wall at one time talking about the making of spookies in the house but at some That's point, cool. they went down, deciding. I guess they didn't want that. Oh, <laughs> so the uh, the other question I had on that, and it was the uh, it was about one of the it was about one of the actresses. It was um, no, it wasn't Mar it wasn't Maria. Was it? If it was, uh, you know the part. Yeah, the the, 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 uh, the the English girl, the girl with the the, the somewhat English accent, right? 
I just can't, I can't remember her first it, name. Um, that was uh, Charlotte Seely, I believe. Uh, okay, yeah, okay, Adrian. That's right. Uh, uh, yeah. Charlotte Alexandra. Gotcha. So right. she, she okay. So one thing that stuck well, out. She, and, she, the thing is, I don't know if you realize this, but she actually we did not know this until well after the film was made. But she had already established a career and had somewhat of a reputation for doing uh, erotic films in Europe. Interesting. You know, like the softcore stuff that they do there. That's like you know, like regular feature films that play theaters, except there's they have softcore sex in them. I feel like there's a lot of people overseas that were sadly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she did stuff like that, and I guess she didn't mention it because she thought it might hurt her chances to get this part in a a regular movie. Uh, but she was great. She was I I I sort of feel like she was uh, potentially the, the you know the best overall actual actor in the film just because uh she had a lot of experience and uh, in fact she played she played the virgin mary in monty python's life of brian <laughs> that's, that's awesome. awesome that's that's sweet and i wish we had known this at the time because it would have been great to talk to her about these things and uh what struck me is that she is throughout the film she is smoking like a yes fan. i know i know i know and the reason that the reason this caught my attention is because I did a film where my character was a smoker and I smoked right. on camera. And I'm when we, even as an actor, I'm a stickler for continuity. And I know that smoking that, that smoking on camera can be very tricky because if you if you're because people will notice if your singer goes, you know, because you're switching between takes. Right. So, so but you know, so I was always very much so. I remember when when I was shooting. I was smoking on on camera, and I had to ensure. I always wanted to make sure the, the cigarette was the same way. So I did the very very stupid thing, and that was during the course of that of the like four hours of shooting, I smoked almost an entire pack of cigarettes oh, because Christ. I didn't want to waste any, and I didn't want to just cut them so that I could have them and just light them real quick and have them be lit. So I right. smoked them down, and I did it fast so that it wouldn't it wouldn't delay a take. So my cigarettes were always the same size depending upon where we were in the scene. And I did that. I made that sacrifice. The director was like, that's awesome. Thank you for doing that. And I didn't, didn't cause any trouble. Made myself sick as an absolute dog. I was kind of curious. Did anything like that happen on this? or It, did it didn't. Just... And I have to tell you, the film as it exists now, because the cutting is not our cutting. There's, I mean, And I, when I say that, I mean that, like, I don't, and I've talked to the, to the, to the two directors about this on numerous occasions. There is really not a single shot in the entire film that cuts to another shot that was the way we had cut it originally. So, really? so bear in mind it was cut with, with no regard to that cigarette aspect whatsoever, I'm sure. Uh, but, uh, I mean, watching the film now, the cigarette is like the last thing I'm worried about the continuity of. I, right. I, I noticed no discrepancies. <laughs> I, that, there was one thing I noticed that it was clean. That it looked good. I, I didn't notice any singing because I'll. Well, that's I, I, purely by by accident. <laughs> <laughs> Happy accident, fantastic. Believe me, I. Hey, look, you've got to be aware. I, I mean, in in a lot of films, if the the audience's mind is not focused enough on certain things, I I I worked on a student film at one time that had a character riding a bicycle for the length of the film, and every day we shot, we didn't have access to to the bicycle we had the day before. So the bicycle changes like five <laughs> times in the course of the film. No one who saw the film ever mentioned this. 
That's a, so again, that's intriguing. And the only re- I think the only reason I noticed it is because I happened I happen to have been, you know, on a film set where I made myself sick as a dog and threw up because I was smoking cigarettes like to get you know to get like it down. John Wayne. Like, oh, just it was it was rough. And I was starting to sound kind of like that at the end. But it was it was a fun shoot. And I was just I was like, wow, that cigarette editing is really impressive. I wonder if she, you know, she's so you know, out of all the people in the entire world. You just happen to come on the podcast with a host who appreciates the cigarette editing. <laughs> it's a thing that stands out. I just <laughs> well, great. I'll I'll tell the woman who I've never met who ruined our film. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's hilarious. So you know, I mean, so, and, and believe me, I I. She, as you know, there was a documentary that's on the uh, our Blu-ray set uh, uh, called uh, Twisted Tale, The Unmaking of Spookies, which pretty comprehensively tells the story. It, uh, it uh, probably is the most extended uh, version of the story that's been able to get out there. But uh, she, was, uh, she was pursued to be interviewed for this. She never replied, so she was not a part of it. But I... Um, I mean, I've been faced with the dilemma that I've been actually in recent times, I've been offered the chance to to have a debate with her about the film on uh, a podcast or an interview program. And as much as I'd like to do it, I've sort of held back and don't think that I will because I don't know any way to talk to her without without me coming off like an asshole. <laughs> and, with, and with her being able to explain anything she did that I have her dead to rights on, including quotes from people who were working with her on the film at the time she was doing it who spoke to me. I've got to ask. I'm really curious. Is this uh, Eugenie Joseph? Oh, of course, yes. Okay, cool. Because that's that's the only album I have have attached to it. uh, This pretty, you know, attached to Spookies as far as editing goes. So, okay. So that kind of clarifies that. Because I would, and I would like to see the documentary that was done. Yeah, you, uh, you really should because I, I think they they uh, the, the the guys who did it, uh, uh, Glenn uh, Baisley and and Michael Gingo. Michael was the editor of Fangoria for many years. I think they right. they they already they both had a lo- uh, you know a, a liking of the film beforehand. Uh, they were really delighted to get the chance to do it. Uh, they originally planned to do something like a half an hour on the making of it, and then they started talking to me and I started sending the materials and they realized, my God, there's like an amazing story here that we really have to tell. And Frank has all this stuff and we're getting, we're getting stuff from other people. So they wound up having a lot to be able to throw into this film, which won the, uh, the Rondo award. Very cool. Awesome. I, I have to ask now, did you have, did you ever, did you get to keep any of the little guys from the movie? Uh, we really, for the most part, didn't. I mean, some of the effects people were able to hold on to uh, some of their stuff. Uh, I know I know John Dodd's contract, even though the other contracts, you know, stipulated that stuff had to be returned to specifically to our, our financier to uh, because he owned them. He had paid for them. Uh, yeah. uh, but John Dodd's uh, contracted to hold on to his stuff and still has some of the stuff, I think, to this day. Nice. Yeah, it, it is nice. Uh but um, yeah, I mean, beyond that, I 
my, my partner held my, both my partners actually held on to a few props and things. I held on to one of the tombstones, which I which was which was cut from the movie. It was the best tombstone in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in fact, let me give you an idea of, of the gap between what we were attempting to do and what this woman Eugenie Joseph did. Right. Originally, there's a scene that at the beginning of, of the film where this bum, this derelict comes along and he's in the, in the woods near the house and he comes to the house and goes in and he's sitting there and he's got a bottle and then he's attacked by ghosts, right? But that was cut out and Billy and his birthday was inserted instead. And that's the same thing. It's, <laughs> it's more or less the same thing. It's like a redo of the same scene for, for, for no reason I can understand. Um, and... Uh, well, I, the haphazard, the haphazard bum, I get. The, you know, the right. bum is he homeless? He's wandering. He's drunk. He wanders into the wrong place and gets attacked by monsters. I get that. That, that right. follows. Well, here, here's the thing: we we originally had a scene at the beginning where when he comes up over the hill and he sees the house, he's sitting on a rock next to a, this big tombstone, which is the Grim Reaper holding a baby in his arms, with the inscription "Life so short, eternity so long." Right, and it was this prop that that was carved by one of our people. It looked really terrific, and and it was nice. It was one of the better visuals that was created. Um, that was cut out, right? So the scene is cut out midway, somewhere in Spookies. I can't remember exactly where, but somewhere midway, there's a scene. It may be when when the blonde haired bride is running around or something. She falls on the ground next to a little tombstone, like a foot high, and it says, "Life so sh life is so short." Yes, I do recall that one. Uh, you know, I mean, so it's uh, like it was like ripped off from our idea, but you know, where I felt we had this great idea with this artistically designed thing, they just took it and turned it into like something stupid and cheap, and and it it just it just shows you, I think, the mentality of the people that took over the film. Uh, oh, that's a bummer. Well, given that, I, I mean, and I know what we're going to talk about next is the the future of this, and of course, the work that you have going on. Would you ever consider going back to the original Spookies or just leaving well, it where it lies and just well, wait? Wait, what do you mean? What do you mean going back to remake to remake it? Uh, no, no, I would just, not. Just let it. Just let it. it was, as I said, it was made to specifications by our backer, and I mean, and I tell you know, I use the word laundry list in reference to it because it was like, oh, I want this to happen, and I want this, and I want to, I want two teenagers to do this, and I want this scene in a car. And the movie was his list of scenes he wanted in the movie, wow. including including the fact that we we shot all these scenes of the characters in cars driving along before they get to the mansion because he told us he wanted scenes of teenagers driving along uh, before they get to the mansion. Um, we also we also sort of changed things in a a bit in the fact that we didn't want it to be teenagers, so the characters are generally in their twenties, and, and we have one character who's in his forties. I did notice he it was kind of an odd man out because like the oldest guy there. Yeah, and it like... was and, and the thing is people see the film now and they're, they're totally confused by that. Why is he hanging out with these people? There was an explanation of it, uh, but it you know, I mean, like a lot of things, it just disappeared. <laughs> I mean the, of, our script our script was stupid, but it wasn't dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and so now, uh looking forward to the future, you're aiming at a sequel. I, yeah, and I and I t I'm totally like amazed that that's happening. I never would have expected to be doing a sequel to this film because this film sort of was the roadblock in my career from around that time, and that I couldn't use it to advance myself in any way 
even though it had stuff in it that proves I could make a, a feature film. And uh, and despite its its weird handling at the end, uh, it did get out there, and it did make a reasonable amount of money. It was the first film released theatrically by Sony before they bought Columbia Pictures. Um, you know, it it uh, it made. You know, there, there's 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 a story that's gone around for years that it only made seventeen thousand dollars at the box office because someone wrote that in a, in a, an online review. Uh, the fact is, it made three million dollars uh, from what I was told by the people at Sony at the time, uh, and it uh, it made. I mean, I have a page. I have a Variety. I have a page from Variety of their top fifty the week it came out, uh, and it uh, was. You know, it made like that week. It made like sixty, seventy thousand dollars, which isn't a fortune, but it's more than seventeen thousand dollars. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I have that 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 pretty much that number right there in the information that I've got the the box office reporting. Where do they even get that number? That's weird. I think they just grabbed it from something somebody wrote, and then they decided. You know, it was like somebody wrote, "Oh, the film made this amount of money." You know, according to such and such, and then that was like uh, from then on the the amount of money of money it made in total. So. Hmm. You know, um, you know, and from what I know, I mean, uh, the, the Sony made a profit. Uh, Michael Lee, the investor, made a profit and continued to release the movie and re-release it and re-release it for years in Europe. Uh, and for some reason, ignored America completely after its initial release. It was in nineteen, what is it, eighty-six? I guess hmm. uh, it never, you know, it never popped up on video again until two years ago. Dang. So I'm curious. I'm curious. You're writing it currently. The the sequel. I'm writing a sequel, and the, the sequel is not so much a sequel as a reaction to the first film. It it is. Um, it's sort of like saying, "All right, this is the thing we were we were basically told. You know, a situation where we were told what to do, and we and we made a film under very strict supervision and a lot of pressure and a lot of uh, temperamental." Uh, uh, I don't even know what to call it because it was irrational behavior a lot of the time. Uh, and then the film was taken out of our hands and turned into an entirely different film. And we never felt comfortable taking responsibility for it because it became another film. Um, so it was very difficult for me. Just I, I, I not only felt like very uncomfortable showing it to anybody, I, I felt uncomfortable showing it to myself. Because it, it just, uh, you know, it, there was no way I could get right with it. None of us could. You know, we, wow. we all sort of, uh, you know, I mean, there was a time when my, my, my one partner, Tom Doran, went to Roger Corman's company and had them look at it. And they just, like, laughed him out of the offices, basically. <laughs> Even though there, there's stuff in it that's better in many of the films they made. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's true. Uh, yeah, you're not wrong there. And of course, and, and I'm familiar with the. Uh, it sucks that that you that you went through this. And I remember hearing about a very similar story. It's very similar to what Joe Lynch went through when his his copy or his cut of Knights of Badassdom, which is a movie that I was seriously looking forward to, that a lot of us were looking forward to. And then the production company E1 Entertainment got a hold of it. They were the uh, the one the, the ones pretty much behind it in the handling handling I think production and I think handling distribution as well. But E1 Entertainment then got a hold of the final cut, which apparently, according to many sources, was absolutely brilliant and drop-dead hysterical, hmm. super violent and gory, just a lot of, just a Joe Lynch film. And they got a hold of it and just butchered it. And what we got... Did they, think end, it was, did they think it was too extreme, I'm guessing? 
No, it's just that I guess that you know they wanted to cut it in a way that I guess they thought was more commercial or something. But Joe didn't have final say. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have final cut on the picture. They did the exact same thing to his movie. What unfortunately happened to you is that some a you know some I guess you know desk jockey got a hold of it and said, "Okay, that's what I got to do." And bop 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 bop. Okay, you know, and then like the order of the film is not even like the actual continuity film is not what Joe intended. Right. There are scenes that are out of place. There's things dropped all over the you know, and then there's there's large swaths of plot that are just left out. There was stuff that was in the trailer. Like a bunch of stuff in the trailer that didn't even make it into the final picture. So, and I just, I did just awful. And I, I mean, know I, that- I, I personally feel that, and, and some companies have become wise to this and I think understand this, but I sort of feel like virtually any film, and I mean, like, you know, big Hollywood films, the smallest budgeted uh, micro budget film, there's no reason you can't have a cut that goes out to the general public and a longer f- cut for people who are actually going to care or direct, you know, or director's cut. Because the director's cut usually exists before they take it apart. Agreed. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So from th- from this point on, with what we with what you've got going on, um, and you spoke you spoke before on the show, kind of like you felt it was kind of like a resurgence of your career, or kind of well, like yes, yeah, Sp- Spooky's Blu-ray hit really big. It 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 just it suddenly Spooky's became credible. It became like. Uh, you know that people acknowledged that it was made for for starters, <laughs> um, but it, it um, you know but the 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 remarkable thing was how many people came to us saying how many you know how how many good memories they had about seeing it originally back in the eighties or nineties or in many cases so many people told me that they had seen the box in the video store and they always meant to to rent it and they never got around to it and they then 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 it, you know they had no chance to see it for many many years. Um, but as, as I said, the film has been sort of embraced, and I get uh, you know po- positive uh, feedback from people on an almost daily basis now. In terms of uh, you know, there are just a lot of people who dig it, and I think I sort of even though I have many misgivings about what happened to the film and the and the film that exists now, I think is like a real uh, you know a travesty of what we were originally trying to do. Uh, you know, the, the the things that matter to the audience uh, is simply that they're entertained. The monsters are still there. The film's as confusing and random and haphazard as anything you can imagine, which adds a sort of crazed entertainment aspect to it. So if, <laughs> if, if it was somebody else's film, I'd probably be more entertained by it than I am. <laughs> so where do you see... Uh... As far as like you know the sequel that you're working on, the what you're currently writing, is there anything else coming up, or do you have any plans you might want to try and? I'm, I'm inc- well. I, the, the sequel idea is incredibly ambitious. It's far beyond anything spooky. It's an, it's sort of an attempt. It's it's like I sort I sort of felt my my partner Tom Doran died a few years back, and we had continued to work together for many years. I can't tell you the number of endless projects in various stages that we had that almost got financing at many. On many occasions, and just didn't. So, but we spent most of our life trying to raise money for films that never got made. And we had discussed it before he passed away. And and the fact is that if we were going to do a sequel to Spookies, it had to be something beyond anything anybody would expect. And it had to prove that we could actually be taken seriously as filmmakers, and that uh, you know that we aspired to something you know above what Spookies was ultimately released as. Um, 
And right now, so far, in terms of what I'm writing, I think I'm succeeding with that. I have something that's really a, it's it's multi-genre. It's very ambitious in terms of of trying to have actual characters that you might care about, of having ideas that are sort of adult. Um, my you know my biggest worry is that like the, the the hardcore Spookies fans will be complaining that there's not a bunch of people wandering around a house for the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we definitely, definitely look forward to that. That is going to be awesome. I have no doubt. So I would well, be I, if if it can get made, I agree. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, it's a it is about that time. So, uh, Frank, this has been absolutely awesome. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. And of course, best of luck to everything you've got going on in the future. And this is awesome that you're getting this, like, kind of like this research here. But man, that is what makes this industry. Thank you so damn what much. What it can, is, yeah. Do me a favor. Can you send me uh, links on this and and uh, and the previous thing that, that I can hook other people up to? Absolutely, we we yep. can do that. Yep, yep, yep. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank Excellent. You. Well, guys, thank you I appreciate all. your your invitation. Thank you. Absolutely. Oh, it's our pleasure. Yes. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Week in Horror After Dark. We hope you appreciated this time and enjoyed our time with Frank Farrell and we wish him all the best for all this cool stuff that's coming to him in the future. Frank, we'll be keeping uh, keeping an eye on your career and uh, all the cool things that are bound to come from it. Thanks a bunch, guys. So definitely, if you'd like to get these episodes uh, early, if you'd like to get early access, you can gain them with, our, with the subscribing to our patron. Check us out. The uh, links are in the description to our Patreon and uh, all the different awards that come with all of the different subscriber tiers we have, but early access to our after darks. And of course our bloodbath debates come with our, come to those who subscribe to those tiers. So thank you again very much. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. I'm Johnny. O. This has been weekend horror after dark. And as always stay scared. <laughs>